Nixon Tire USA, we got you. Find out more about the Nixon Tires that are on the 2021 Jeep Talk Show Gladiator, the Nixon Tire Rodian MTX at NixonTireUSA.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Wendy, there will be body damage. Jock. I like making people laugh. That's it's good for my soul. Jock. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Heidi ho! If you're new to the Jeep Talk Show Roundtable, let me give you a brief synopsis. Yes, the Jeeper can say synopsis. Uh, what we do here is we have a Zoom meeting. We bring a bunch of people in here that willingly, I should say, uh, and uh, they they all join in and, uh, you know, comment on uh, questions or uh, here mo- more recently, we have a guest on and we do a question and answer session, do a little mini interview at the top of the show and then bring the uh, the guest in uh, with the Zoom people for question and answers. And uh, it's 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 been really a really good, uh, really good time uh, asking these uh, these uh, Jeep people. Uh, questions. Sometimes they are uh, people in the industry. Sometimes they are past guests that are also people from the industry. So it's a, a real good opportune time for you to become uh, you know, like just like us, one of the Jeep Talk Show hosts and talking to our guests. So uh, we do this every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. That's when we record. So if you want to be part of the Jeep Talk Show Roundtable episode, uh, you just join in Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time. We record and then publish the show on Wednesday the following day. And uh, we just we just have a good time. It's a bunch of Jeepers talking about uh, Jeeps, and uh, we, uh, we yuck it up. Most of the time, it's really controlled. Everybody seems to be uh, more controlled while we're recording the show. Uh, and then when we stop the show, because uh, the Zoom meeting continues after the show, <laughs> it gets a little more um, normal, I would say, uh, with uh, with Jeepers. I don't know. I, I guess it's good. Everybody knows how to behave, right? Uh, I, I like the after the after the show roundtable, too. So we now join the Zoom meeting, which is already in progress. Please keep in mind that what you're about to hear is completely unrehearsed. The opinions may be strong or may or may not reflect the opinion of the Jeep talk show. Hello, Zoomies. Hey, hey there. Is, is Zoomy off- offensive? That's what a dog does when it gets really excited. And I'm really excited. I'd run around fast if I could. <laughs> Your show. Yeah, that's, that's what you want. Good point. <laughs> I just need to get a stretchy, a stretchy mic uh, cable or something, right? Oh, he didn't say you do you. Yeah. <laughs> that's code. We found out uh, from, from John, who had, does a lot of meetings, uh, what uh, you do you means. Uh, in a, a, a socially acceptable situation. Um, so uh, I'll remind everybody, if you would, when you're uh, speaking for the first time, uh, say uh, your first name and where you're located. So the listeners, the ones that were unlucky enough not to be here, will have some idea who you are and where you're located. I don't know uh, why, why we do that. It's just uh, I, I think it's interesting for the listener. All right, well, let's get started. Uh, when a cell check engine light comes on while you're driving, do you, and you can, you can add to this, immediately stop, drive, and shut off the engine, scan the gauges for anomalies, listen, look, and smell for issues, downshift, put the pedal to the metal, and have a nice day. All of you know, there's a lot of people out there that panic whenever they say, see the check engine light. And I was just curious about how do you, how do you guys handle the check engine light? This this is Larry from St. Louis area. Unless that unless that engine light's flashing, <laughs> which means there is a serious issue. Typically, I'll just drive it to an O'Reilly's or something. Unless it's a stop start light, then I just ignore it for a while. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Chris from Detroit, and I'm the same with Larry. I. I've had a light coming on and it's not flashing fast. It's flashing over days, but as long as there's not a runnability issue, it doesn't scare me. Yeah. Obviously check your gauges. Uh, as long as it's not doing something chugging or doing something obviously noticeable, but at 138 plus thousand miles, I believe it's time for new oxygen sensors in my Jeep. And, and I thought it was a ground issue, but it, it just keeps coming back every couple of days. But other than that, it's running fine. I thought you were going to stay at 130 miles per hour uh, when you said that 130,000. <laughs> oh, there you, Chris. Uh, at 130 miles an hour, I, I probably got more, uh, more, more pressing things to. The, the computer would be too busy. Yeah, the computer would be too busy to put lights on. <laughs> Just grabbing yeah. hold of things. So, um, so uh, would it be this is Bob? Okay, 
I have a question. You, I'm confused by the. I'm confused by the question you Here we said. Go. When the check engine light comes on, you mean it's not just <laughs> always on? I drive a TJ. Well, you have to you have to lift the tape up and check, Bob. It's this <laughs> oh. <laughs> from uh, Tulsa, and I, 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 yeah, mine's 20 years old, and it's always on. But I have an EVAP code, so yeah. Steve from Chicago. I'd rather have had the check engine light a couple weeks ago than. The message that said starter protection mode, wait to start. Because it didn't go anywhere. Oh, that's the that's the problem you had. What was it? What did it wind up being? Was it your starter, uh, Steve? Yeah, it, it was melted or something, of, right? Yeah, 36,000 miles. Melted the solenoid, right out the solenoid and everything. It was like, what the hell? Do you, um, do you just sit there and crank and crank and crank and crank? or I, I wouldn't even do anything. It just sat dead in the water. Wow. It was that's, like the start-stop was dead engaged, so... I thought it was a good start when the light turned green, took my foot off, the, you know, the brake and nothing. I looked down and I got that message. No warning. Yeah, I hate that. I mean, check engine light can be serious, but generally speaking, it's more of a warning uh, than anything else. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say you do you, but you guys should do what you think is best for your vehicle. <laughs> and if you see a, a check engine light, and I'm talking, not talking to you, you knuckleheads, I know what you'll do with a check engine light. I'm talking about the, the, the listener out there. So if you get a check engine light, would you guys say the first thing to do is uh, to, um, uh, to run it, get a code check on it? I would, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's one thing I got now is I got the uh, JScan app, which I can do my own code checks now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been using um, Torque, the Torque app on the Android. I think it's also available on the uh, the iPhone. Uh, and you just get a, like a $12 Bluetooth uh, OBD2 uh, scanner, plug it in. I, I, I have them in all the vehicles. I leave it there all the time because if something comes up, I can just go out there, pull up Torque, and then do a quick scan, a quick clear if I need to, and see if it comes oh. back, see if the code comes back. Especially you, you got what the TJs and the XJ that are well over twenty years old, so it makes sense for you. Yep, three TJs, one XJ, and uh, one Gladiator, which I got the oil change today. Yay! I'm good for another year and a half. So a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people don't know, but with the TJ, the XJ, and even the early JKs, you don't need a scanner. All the only thing you need is the driver's key. If you take the and driver's can, key, yeah, you, you you put it in the hole uh, in the steering column. Slower. And you push. Which hole? Yeah. <laughs> slower, Greg. Slower. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, you, you very slowly insert it into the hole oh, in the steering it. column. <laughs> and then you push in extra deep with an extra couple pounds of force and very slowly rotate it forward. And you'll feel it drop in an extra eighth of an inch. Once, <laughs> oh, it, once it drops in that extra eighth of an inch, you turn it on off on off on without ever starting the car and on your prindle where it normally shows your mileage it will actually go through and tell you every code that is stored in the vehicle very yeah, my, cool my, four, my 14 jk will do that too great that's a, yep. a dandy feature and that's how i that's p p o or p0 153 for oxygen sensors so yep yeah it'll it'll the they stopped doing it with the push to start um so anything with a, a functioning key versus the new push to start will do that. And that's from um, 1996 <laughs> all the way through 2019 or 2018. And, and somebody's trying it while, while we're on the Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah, I, thought that was a, I thought that was you putting a drop in there, Tony. No. Yeah, that's somebody trying it right now. Bob's like, yeah, wow, I'm going to try this. <laughs> Bob's like, too, oh, I went too deep again. <laughs> no, Bob's you don't never have to push said in that. Bob has never said that. <laughs> hey, I didn't. It works every time. For Chris, me, Chris, Chris, I didn't know you guys were that close. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> touche, Tony. <laughs> well, does it list all codes or just the codes that it's covering that something's wrong? I ask that question again, Jody. Uh, does it list all codes or just what what code is firing? Something yeah, like the the check engine. What what triggered the check engine light? The the codes that it uh, yeah it is yeah it's just all active codes. All active. Okay. I yeah, something. I have, uh, my WJ has probably three of them, and they're mostly evap, 
And then I think I had like another, some random code. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something to do with a bus communication. No bus? Yeah, no bus or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just cleared it. Yeah, so that's one with the new push button. If if you have that stop start error light pop up, you have to take it in while it's running because the minute you turn it off, that code will clear. And you start the process all over again and every time. So if you do get that stop start error, take it in, don't turn it off, and have them read it before you shut the vehicle off. That, that way you get the codes. Can you uh, use just a regular code scanner or do you have to have something from Jeep? Well, so I tried O'Reilly's, and it, they weren't picking up the codes for that. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, for the stop-start system, the error, just because you got an error, it does not mean that you have an actual charging issue. Anything that trips it will give you that, that code. So it's kind of a misnomer that you have a stop-start error. It could be just by anything else. If it sees any kind of flaw in the system, you know, like mine, when I when I put the new axles in, didn't have everything uh, reset yet. You know, all those errors got off the stop start system as well. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Just because you have a check engine light uh, and, and you read, read a code and you get a code or several codes, it doesn't mean that's the exact problem that you're having. The, the computer can only tell you a limited amount of things, you know, what it's programmed to tell you. So uh, it's going to give you a, a, a ballpark idea, and then you have to start doing diagnosis. Or the person, uh, the, the, the shop or the dealership that you take it to will have to run a diagnosis. And also, often uh, the, the machines that the pull the codes at the shops uh, are much more involved and, and much more expensive and can go, like Larry was talking about, going deeper into the, the cause of the issue. Now, Tony, you so, mentioned you just got your oil changed and something. The couple oil changes I had on my JK when it was new at the dealer, they plugged in when I pulled into the service bay, and they were able to pull quite a bit of history. That was surprising. And one of the times, the service advisor said, do you realize that all four of your tires have been below below pressure? And she had specific <laughs> dates. It's like, yeah, I went to this to go to the sand dunes once a year. And it, I was just surprised that it stored that much data. I mean, it was more than one instance that it knew that the tires were below recommended pressure. It just surprised me. Yeah, oh, they're just, they just thought you had a pavement princess and were ex- wondering why the tires were low. I, blow, I aired them down to be in the sand dunes. I'm, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> he missed did, it. Did, did they do that for you, so, Tony? Uh, nobody said anything I'm about gonna, any problems. I'm sorry, Travis, go ahead. I'm going to jump in. So my YJ, check engine light, like the other guys at the old Jeep, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to drive it till it falls apart. <laughs> um, my new Jeep, I've yet to have an engine light. Now, that said, I buy something from my dealership. They add CarRx, which is a built-in code reader. And I'm actually, that I kind of like. I'm like, ah, y'all are adding things to vehicles people don't care for. what, But it's a built-in code reader. It actually Bluetooths to your phone, and you can look at it. I've yet to have an issue, yet to have a problem. But I'm... I'm hoping I don't have to have that issue, but it's like, hey, your full light comes on. It's going to notify your phone. Anything that happens to your vehicle, um, that's just technology and where it's going. I have a Bluetooth reader like you do, Tony, and I read it, read all my codes. I did on my Tacoma when I was, you know, a Jeeper slash Toyota guy. Um, but now with this, I put it, well, I just bought Kadia cards, got it as well. So I've got that, but it won't fit on my YJ, my old bluetooth reader because i don't definitely don't have a ob2 reader and or yeah the scanner i'm drinking (laughs) but yeah it just it's it's impressive to see where technology is going but like you know everyone was saying chris and and what the readers read at the dealership it does give more information than what we have access to and what we do yeah it's uh, it's really really cool uh, although I think it could even be maybe a little invasive, um, depending on uh, if, if it collects GPS information. I mean, I know uh, with the, the app on my phone, I know anytime the, the Gladiator is started and travels and I can go and look and see uh, where it's been and where it's going yeah. and go back in the history and, and see on a map. You, sh- you, should have, you should have Car RX as well. If you've got ELO GPS, 
then that has a link to car rx which is the code reader i'm talking about okay i'll have to have a look unless unless you're talking about just the jeeps the jeep wave or not jeep wave just the jeep app will give you location i believe as well um but if you have elo gps that is car rx as well and it will yeah, Elo. Elo is the app that I use, right? Yeah, E L O, just like then the uh, the group from the uh, from the eighties or nineties. Yep. Then download the Car RX, <laughs> and you've got a code reader built in that'll tell you everything. Yeah. Yeah, but Travis, if you want to read the check engine codes on your YJ, you know to read the flashes, right? Uh, well, do I personally? Oh, um, yeah. any code, I'm going to just start diagnosing it old school. Nah, you Look can, at everything, go through everything. How, how do you read the flashes, uh, Clint? You have to, so you turn the key off and on, off and on, off and on, like, like eight times in so many seconds. And then you have to read the, uh, um, the <laughs> flash, like, flash, flash. And it says, voice flash, confirmation flash, for flash. self-destruct. <laughs> go on, sorry, you, go ahead. You get into, like, Morse code? <laughs> yeah, yeah Morse, Morse code. code. No, I can't, so, I can't so handle you, it. So you write down, yeah, you wait. It goes, like, Flash, flash, and then it'll pause. Flash, 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 flash. So that's two, four. And then it'll repeat. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because they're two digit ones. I was thinking you were going to be doing letter uh, conversions and four digit numbers and no, stuff. And then, and then you got to hit the Google and figure out <clears throat> okay, a two, four, what is that? Oh, that's a throttle sensor position sensor. <laughs> That may or may not be what it is. I think it'd be better for it to come up with a two four, and you look it up, and it says you you missed the on off sequence by one time. Try again. <laughs> eight, eight times. That's that's rough, man. But but I mean, if you've got a problem with your with your YJ, and you need to be able to to have some starting point, uh, that's a good way of doing it. It is. That being yeah, said, a- I'll swap a Magnum in there pretty soon and do an OBD two. So there you go. Oh, there you go. This is Chris with yeah, uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, Chris. Uh, you use a paper clip. You put it in slot number uh, two and slot number eight on your pin, and it'll do the same thing on the YJs. So on your OBD reader, cool. you put it the paper clip in number two and cross it over to number eight, and it'll flash the code for you. Very nice. It sounds like uh, that's one f- uh, fire away from hitting the wrong pin. Well, now, is that on a YJ? Because I originally, my 89 originally had the six cylinder 4.0 carbureted. I pulled that engine out. I've got a Comanche. I'm sorry, I pulled a Comanche apart at my young age. Oh, yeah. Had the engine rebuilt and went with the six cylinder 4.0 fuel injected. Um, and the wiring was a mess. I'm waiting on one part, and my guy's cleaning everything up. But I love that straight six engine. Um, but a Comanche would that honestly be the same? So didn't you have to move the computer module with the with the motor so that all the, the, the sensors yeah. and stuff? Yeah. So was yeah. the Comanche yeah. is an OBD two one correct? It's not OBT two. Right. So um, it's it a was one. Some weird. Yeah, it's a one. Yeah, so it's just um, like what was in the YJ, I think. Even my shop didn't. My shop didn't even have it. I'm like, hey, anybody got this? They're like, no. I'm like, seriously? No. So, so I bet you. No, I'm not saying do this, but I bet you, you could get a uh, a more modern computer and then put all the sensors for the 4.0 on for the OBD2, and you could actually have OBD2. Uh, you know connectivity and stuff and that that engine would run just fine uh I, I, the 4.0 i don't think changed much over the years uh except for the what the sensors and stuff that were, were cl- plugged into it and uh and exhaust and uh in, in, intake go ahead that said i'm gonna email josh and give him a project <laughs> in the mid 90s they got a little a little funky as far as obd2 OBD2, and then, because the 4-liter will have a standalone wiring harness for the motor and a standalone wiring harness for the automatic transmission. Right. Those computers don't talk. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. No. So, like in my 91, I can actually put an, a- an AW4 in it, and I don't have to worry about the computer at all because it already has a standalone harness and its own computer. And then you can actually make it a manual lockout. Um, so, the AW4 will have a... It automatically does a 1-2 shift. 
but you can actually program it and basically make it like a manual valve body. Yeah, I ha- actually have a little, uh, and I can't remember the gentleman that, that builds those little shifters, but I actually have a little shifter for the XJ. So I can put it in one, two, uh, three, and I think four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, I need to get like a multi-position switch so that I can turn the uh, the TPS. TPS, T, what, what is the, the computer module oh. for the, comp- uh, the transmission? Uh, yeah, it's TCM. Yeah, so I can turn it off and then just go 100% manual on the AW4. So I got you can't actually. Um, the funnier part is with AW4, you can actually don't even have to worry about putting the wiring harness in and don't have a computer control at all. And then it is truly a manual, yeah. Oh, no, no, I mean, I could just put this uh, this little shifter in there, but I could just see somebody in an emergency from the family driving the uh, the Cherokee wondering why it's not getting out of first gear. Yeah, (laughs) it's automatic. Um, So, in one of my buddies, uh, he's got a Sammy-based buggy, which is not really much Samurai left. And uh, so, he's got an AW4 with a Dana 300 with a Suzuki four-cylinder motor. So, it's all hodgepodge. And it actually has a little gear shifter on the side. So, you throw it in drive, and then it has a little gear shifter selector on the side, and you can manually shift one, two, three, four. But it's more like a little toggle switch, not an actual Oh no! This is tiny. This thing I've got is, is is a tiny little thing. It looks like a toy, but it's all aluminum. I had to look it up real quick. R A Designs, R A Design Products uh, LLC, and uh, he actually makes several shifters. Uh, and Clint, I'm surprised you don't have one because with a I don't have a man. I don't have a uh, automatic. I have a. Um, I, I'm still wheeling a manual. Auto. Uh, okay. Well, check this stuff out. Uh, he makes uh, some really good stuff, and uh, I, I got to install that because that would just be fun off road, especially if you're. And if you guys are confused about why would you want to, why would you be concerned about having it in first gear and not having it uh, decide one or two? Well, if you get brake fades coming down something uh, steep, mountain, or whatever, and <laughs> you want to slow down, uh, you don't want to actually have it shift into second gear because now you're going to be going a lot faster down that mountain and uh, not able to stop. So if you can drop it down in one and keep it there, then the engine helps slow you down uh, going down that uh, that side of the mountain or uh, decline, if you will. So it's a, it's a good thing to have, and it's always good to have manual control, just like Scotty on the Enterprise. That's uh, I just looked that up. Yeah, that's the same one he has in his Samurai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's it's, it's a very, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've got it. And in fact, I was digging around and stuff, and I went, "Hey, what's this? Oh, that's that uh, that little manual shifter I got for it before." I'm glad I found that. All right. Well, let's. Uh, that was a a, a good conversation uh, on that the check engine light. I think I, I can wrap it up with this. So you don't have to panic when you get a, a check engine light. Just be uh, use it as a, a warning light that you need to check into what's going on with your Jeep or any vehicle that you have. Uh, and, uh, and I think it was Larry said made a good point that if it's flashing uh, rapidly, that generally means things are a lot more serious. Yeah. All right. So uh, after uh, taking your Jeep off road two or three times, what was the biggest surprise? Maybe you had a preconceived notion uh, that was wrong. So what did you learn whenever you started taking your, your vehicle off-road? And you, I mean, were you concerned about it rolling over? Were you concerned uh, that uh, it was just going to explode or you're going to hit a tree and you were going to do some damage and then you got out there and you found out, oh, man, this is, this is no big deal. It's just fun, and I didn't die. So, Steve from Chicago again, my first Jeep that I offered with was my 98 XJ. And fortunately... I hooked up with a buddy who was in a, in a Jeep club. I know how much you love clubs, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and we were down, uh, downstate Illinois. And the biggest thing that caught me was how much momentum is your friend, speed is your enemy. Right? Mm-hmm. When they were talking me through some of the obstacles. Because I was fortunate that I didn't go by myself. And I was able to learn. But that was one of the biggest things. So that you see everybody, the off-road stuff on TV, it's all, it's all fast, right? Oh, yeah. And this was nothing like that. No, 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 controlled. And uh, uh, I would say, and uh, and you guys with more wheeling experience than me, correct me, but uh, I would say that um, the the slow controlled is what you want to do most of the time. And anytime you can add things to your Jeep so that you don't have to build up momentum to get up and over things, like lockers, for example, or uh, even uh, larger tires that are going to get those low-hanging fruit on the Jeep higher up, now you can go up and in, in a controlled way, and you're m- much, much less likely to do damage. 
Yeah. You know, to the yeah, whole point, the first couple of times should be with people that know what they're doing. I was fortunate I had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I advocate momentum a thousand percent. You know, uh, once you understand the weight of your vehicle and the momentum that it carries, three to five miles per hour will get you over almost every obstacle. Um, and it really doesn't matter. I mean, once they're too big, tire size becomes an issue, but three to five miles an hour gets you over almost everything. So I'm, I'm for momentum way before I'm for any add-ons. And tasteful momentum, not 40 miles an hour, <laughs> three to five. Yeah, I think we're looking at sports event, sporting events, off-road events, where you see the monster trucks, you know, driving, uh, you know, 60 miles an hour over uh, vehicles and they launch into the air. And that that's momentum, but uh, not necessarily. I mean, if you're built for that, uh, sure. And it makes it fun for yeah, people but, to watch. But it's if you're built for it, because, you know, I do a lot of wheeling all over the country. And my favorite thing in the world is to go out on a set of 33s and 35s with all these Instagram Jeeps that are all on 40s and 42s. And I watch them have to winch up obstacles because they just don't understand the momentum thing. They pull up to the obstacle, they get stuck, they start spinning their tires, they think horsepower is your friend, and they fail and fail and fail until they have to either brake or pull a winch. And then here I come in my little 33s and just drive right past them because I understand how to pick a line and the momentum trick. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I guess that's what you learned was, is that it's not uh, the monster vehicle that you've built. It's it's knowing how to drive it. And that's how I am because uh, my WJ is only on 32-inch tires, and I can pretty much outwheel a lot of the, the guys in the group that I'm in with the 35s and the 37s because, one, my smaller and I can get into tighter places. And two, I know the momentum, and I have what they call Verilox from the factory on my uh, axles, and they're, they're basically LSDs, the limited slips, mm-hmm. and it makes it into a slippable locker, basically. Yeah. Easiest way. Uh, LSD limited slip differential, which means that it uh, goes around. Uh, it has nice on-road manners, but whenever you need the traction, it uh, it will engage the the two uh, rear tires together and act kind of like a a locker. But uh, yes and no. So it, it seems like when you need it is when it doesn't work, uh, right, Chris? <laughs> nope, mine working great. I, I get I get asked a lot of times if mine actually has a locker lockers in them, oh, and I'm nice. like, no, it doesn't. So you put the friction modifiers and everything in there to keep that uh, LSD working? Oh, yeah. Uh, whenever I turn, if I turn too sharp of a, like, turn, uh-huh. it, it, they'll, they'll do a little vibration noise to them. They don't grind, but they growl. Yeah. <laughs> so they're pretty tight. Very cool. So I'm, I would classify an answer to this as I'm still learning. And uh, that's off camber. So... When I first started wheeling, we'd come into an off-camber situation. The slightest little bit of off-camber, just, I was done. Like, I couldn't do it. I would put myself in a much worse position. Yeah. And I say could, that's as recent as just Colorado trip or whatever. Like, I'm still not really comfortable. It doesn't it. feel right. It, it doesn't feel right. So, I still, I, still would, I, I would put that as something I'm still learning is that, you know, there's, you'd be surprised how far off-camber you can go. And it's, I did a, one of those ride along NASCAR experiences uh, a couple years ago. And when you're sitting in the passenger seat and it goes into that paint corner, your mind tells you you're about to flip over. Like you're going to be you're going way too fast. You're turning, you shouldn't. But if you look at the physics of it with the banking and everything else, you're not going to. It's the same with a lot of the off camera stuff. You'll be in a position where you know physically you can't roll over. Like you're not leaned over that far. But my mind just, that's the toughest obstacle for me to, to learn as far as driving off road. Yeah, getting over that. You know, John, if, of- if you ever do a segment for us, that would be the name of your segment, Off Camber. <laughs> a, a lot <laughs> of camber. Then you see it on video. You are like you are barely. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> same way. Does not do it justice. We need a video camera that gets goes. the emotion uh, that, that films the emotion as well. Well, I got to sit there and listen to my daughter mock me too. Excellent. I've been kind of freaking. Oh, we've been out wheeling with a couple of the, the JTS listeners here before. And uh, whenever they would come into an off camber section, they knew I was going to freak out. So they would stop and get out and film it. <laughs> <laughs> they knew it's, it was going to be great. It's good like, to have friends, isn't it? It's great. Far more brutal on you than we ever were. <laughs> oh, she was. She was brutal. <laughs> 
Um, one of the things I teach in a one-on-one class is like the center of gravity and be aware of your center of gravity. Um, and a lot of times it's, you know, just re- really below your seat. And that kind of, that center of gravity pretty much stays the same no matter how tall the vehicle gets. Um, so it, yeah, it can get a little tippy in the center, uh, but you have to tell the people don't freak out. Because honestly, like John, um, I have a lot of people, we take a lot of newbies wheeling. That tippy part, the off-camber stuff, where we go wheeling, and Tony could tell you at Barnwell, it's pretty, there's a lot of off-camber stuff. And John just don't like it. John's not going now. <laughs> you <laughs> guys really, a, you guys should try try Barnwell, especially you guys that are up around the the Austin and Dallas area. Uh, it's a, a very nice park. And uh, uh, and we have a friend uh, that uh, is intimately involved with it. Oh, I'm right here. Yep. <laughs> so on the off-camera part, there's a trail. Like, you've been to Hidden Falls plenty of times, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a trail called FMTRO. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of how bad my uh, kind of crippling anxiety was on that. Is the second half of the trail, there's about a 50-yard section where you have to go really, really kind of past my comfort zone, especially, and ride there for a really long time. And you can't really be notch because there's trees in the way. So you, you have to run run down that uh that path that was probably my worst that one either that or mineral creek trail up in uh colorado where you're off camera but you're off camera towards the land which makes so <laughs> so to kind of pop your bubble on that one last time we ran fm we ran that tro we ran it from start from camp a all the way to the back no bypasses we did it in 45 minutes that's uh that's moving i can't remember i don't think it, I don't know if we how fast we did. We did it pretty fast as well, but um, Clint has something that would be barely considered a Jeep. He is a heavily modified. <laughs> it's yeah, got eighteen plates on it, but that's about it. We took a few bypasses, and there was a tree that got blown up by lightning laying across the trail that you had to go around, and that was that was a little bit rough too. But I mean, it was it a lot just, of fun. We did we we, we we were doing that at night, and and Clint, I think that was my first time doing night wheeling. I love uh-huh. it. it because it's not as hot. So it, it looks cool too, but it's, it's not as hot. <laughs> All right. So uh, after taking your Jeep off road, at least two or three times, what was the biggest surprise? Uh, anybody else got something that they were surprised that, that uh, they had some preconceived notions about taking their Jeep off road and found out it was not true or, or maybe it was a lot worse. You will never get all the mud underneath off. <laughs> Ever. No, no <laughs> you won't. Never. <laughs> It's more fun than uh, taking uh, the uh, the crawfish uh, uh, big mounds of uh, mud and throwing them at people on the highway because it it's the same type thing. It just pops off under your under your vehicle and you hear this huge noise and then you see cars swerving behind you. <laughs> no. I'll just say real quick that it's I was amazed at what a stock rig will do. Everybody thinks mm-hmm. you have going out there in a fully fully modified rig, and I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate. Myself included, my first Jeep was what a stock rig will actually do without all those mods. Yep, very, very good. And and I think that's a really good thing for our our newbies uh, to hear. You have a very capable, and what do we always tell people? It's more capable than you are. Yeah, I, my WJ is, like I said, on 32s, and I'm on street, rate, street ATs, basically. They call them ATs. They're really not. They're more of a street tire. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed on bearing down and still getting really good traction. I did the Rubicon Ridge in those tires in a sloppy, wet, like rainy day. And I got stuck twice. Very cool. And these are good things for people to know before they go wheeling that you're probably going to have more fun than problems. And, and I would say it's, it's a high likelihood that it will be more fun than problems. And, uh, you know, uh, Clint, you talked about uh, uh, wheeling classes, and uh, that's another good thing to do. Go out there, find a class in your area, and go out there, and then a lot of that uh, learning process you won't have to do on your own. You can go out there, and they'll tell you what your Jeep can do and, and walk you through it. Um, yeah. The, the biggest thing, honestly, is just gas, money, and seat time. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just like uh, it, I, I i think it's a lot like learning how to drive you know where you 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 just you get in the vehicle you go through classes or at least you used to uh and uh, you get some skills and then as you drive you learn and know what to expect and you and you have to learn the vehicle as well 
uh, and what it can do, how fast you can go. Uh, is it going to lock up when it's raining outside? The, you know, all those things you learn by doing. And that's exactly the same thing, at least in my mind, uh, that you do with off-road. The more off-road you do, the better you get at it, the less surprises there are. But I think the fun is always there. The excitement is always there, especially like what Greg said, whenever he goes and does things on 33s and uh, people are getting winched uh, with their 42s. All right, uh, another good question there. Got lots of good answers, I should say. Uh, so <laughs> we, we've kind of alluded to this already, but what's the best wheeling? Uh, is it snow, mud, rock, or maybe just an easy trail, uh, just, a, just, just a nice flat trail that isn't paved? Uh, and, I, you know, whenever I wrote that, I was thinking, uh, especially during autumn, I can well imagine that that would just be a wonderful thing just to go down an easy trail and look at the, the colors of the leaves changing in your you're, it's so it, it, it's freeing almost because you're in a vehicle that you can do things that you don't really have to worry about getting stuck because it's an off-road vehicle. Now you can always get stuck depending on what happens, but uh, you, you, that that was what came to mind. But it can really be anything. So what do you guys think? Snow, uh, mud, rock, or just an easy trail? Uh, I think it, yeah, all of them. It depends on the location and what you get to see. Um, my honeymoon years ago, we did a. Uh, running some TJs out in Alaska. This is an old fire trail. It wasn't too high the whole time, but it was some of the most incredible views I'd ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain National Park I did two years ago, running the JK out there, and it was gorgeous. Just easy trails, but it was just different scenery, just being in a different place. Well, I would say that the, the Jeep Talk Show group that went up to Colorado probably had uh, great vistas, and one, oh, yeah. one of the main reasons why they went up there. It's a shame you couldn't go, Steve. I did. I did Colorado, <laughs> but I think that I think that's part of a, a good answer there, Tommy. I think the, the best terrain in is whatever you got your buddies there to wheel with you. Yeah, I think it's, always, it's always more fun when you get a good group out. Everybody's having fun, so I I kind of feel like you, there's I, I like the easy trails that we do in Colorado. I like the rock climbing stuff, you know, rock crawling, whatever. Um, but it's it's whatever we can get a group of folks to go out and do it. I think that's that's probably more important than just the, the train itself. Well, it, it, it's kind of like your work, right? What what I mean, yeah, you can enjoy your job, but the guys you work with make it even better. So right. it doesn't really matter what you're doing. I mean, I've burned probably more gas just putting around than I have ever rock crawling and putting my Jeep in weird predicaments. I'll say I'll say with on top of friends, uh cold wheeling like when it's cold outside because one you don't have to worry about being hot and the jeep runs much cooler. oh yeah good point and so that's auto being, up here. being from oklahoma cold wheeling is what 60 degrees 65 <laughs> <laughs> yeah anything yeah. below that <laughs> i hate the heat and air conditioning is really hard to keep in the jeep hey, hey chris what do you say we show chris wj do some cold wheeling in michigan snow oh uh, my god Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> hey, Absolutely. I'll take that offer. Come on out to Colorado. I'll take you up to the mountains. In the winter. Uh, no, in the winter. We'll camp. Show me how to use chains. Tent, tent camping. Tent camping in the winter. Yeah. No diesel. No diesel heaters. No diesel heaters. No uh no whatever they call the buddy heaters. None of that. Uh the buddy heater quits working at about seven thousand feet. 7,500 unless you uh, bend a little thermal coupler, the little cutoff. So if you just have a regular buddy heater and you're above 75, it ain't going to work. And all the fancy diesel heaters, most of those quit working when you get up real high in elevation too. But you're saying you just need a buddy to keep you warm. <laughs> as long as buddy heater is I have a good Bob, sleeping Bob bag and an buddy heater. Or a dog named uh, Duke like uh, what Larry has. You here. actually and you actually had to use Duke for warmth when you went out to that Colorado trip. I just yeah, thought of that. I called him my ready live heater, <laughs> and 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 he wasn't interested in that at all. He was a, a purely a a friend, a non a, a platonic friend, until he found out he was going to get warm too. <laughs> I, I went wheeling with my buddies uh, last November, and in the Ozarks, and it it got to about twenty degrees. So, I mean, it, I lasted, it was fine, but it was great. 
I loved it. It was cold. You're also in a WJ that seals up a lot nicer than everybody else's rigs. Yeah, and but I had my windows down when we were rolling around. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with what everybody just said, too, and it never made me think about it, but it's it's the memories that you've got from the trips that you've been on. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the memories that, that truly make me appreciate my Jeep. They talk about Cole Willen and me and my buddy in high school with my Jeep. You know, both stock, both running through it, but yet we had a total of like nine girls with us, and we get stuck. I lost my four-wheel drive due to vacuum hoses, and I've got beautiful girls digging snow out to get me out, which wasn't going anywhere. But, I mean, I've mentioned that story before, but it's just, it is the memories that you've got. You know, me getting stuck carrying a girl out, not carrying her, I'm like, in the arms, <laughs> carrying her out. I'm like, this was the stuff, stuff that... Hey Travis, is this is this from the penthouse forum? I, I, I don't know. There's something going on here, guys. Travis, I thought I, I thought he was going to say he lost something else that same trip. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Where'd those cherries go? Four, four wheel drive. <laughs> it, just, it was. It is the memories. You know, it's, it's my buddies have been great. Those stories stand out more, obviously, but. It's, you're going out with your buddies. We've got a highway built around uh, Charlotte, where I live. And, you know, we used to go 485, which is that highway built around. And we'd go up 77, take an exit ramp that was dirt on the backside. And through high school, we would just drop off. And I can only imagine what the people driving on the highway saw or thought. But we're, you know, being high school kids, you know, running through where they're marking and you know, getting the highway set up. We're just wheeling it, having fun. But it, that was the stories, and that's the memories that I have. I go to New Orleans with my buddies, and it's the late-night runs, and that's a question you've got coming up. Do you like late-night runs? But it's it's the late-night runs, and it's it's the memories made that you have on these wheeling trips that truly stand out. Man. Very cool. And if and if you guys are new to the, the, the roundtable and the Zoom meeting, uh, we give Travis a hard time on any little thing. So this is it's kind of like uh, uh, John being off camber. So uh, don't think we're we, – I guess I guess I'm saying is it's okay if we're mean to Travis. So don't feel bad for him. Oh, you mean pick on the it's YJ expected. guy. <laughs> Long story short, Travis hey, is here for our entertainment. Hey. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, have to, you can't say he's the YJ like guy. He's the 4 by e guy now. Oh, for XE. Ooh. Well, no. Jim Morrison hey, and wait, Tom wait, both Tom told both. me four by E, and they didn't four correct by. me, but I'm correcting myself because I kept saying four XE. And four. Uh, uh, and right after that, Jim I would say four by E. Four so. XE and a YJ. <laughs> well, at least it's not. I've like, got both. At least it's not the YJ and the Toyota anymore. And how dare you? It was a YJ and Toyota. He upgraded. <laughs> Kind of. I did. It's nice I'm, that we have somebody so, in the group that has an electric uh, Jeep because uh, we like to hear about that three miles that he gets uh, off road. <laughs> I want two hated. I want two hated Jeeps, and I'm successful. I've never hated a YJ. I don't understand that. I mean, I think YJs are great. You started with I, a square. I do. The square headlights. Yeah. Yeah. The square headlights are now electric. So it's not hated, but it's just not appreciated. So, so I called Greg the other day uh, just to check on uh, on his build because uh, I was going to mention it to some some folks because he was trying to get parts. But fortunately, he got the parts that he needed, and he had a visitor. And Greg, I have forgotten the guy's name. You're busy. Don't worry about to telling me. But I, I talked to this gentleman, and it was funny. Uh, I I actually talked to him about uh, the YJ, and he said that they put the uh, the round or the square headlights in uh because they were coming out with something new and they wanted it to, to look different who was that who was that that i was talking to greg so that's uh dave thompson he was one of the engineers on the yj program uh, he was also one of the founding members of the lunatic fringe at jeep right and yeah so the whole premise with the yj is 60 minutes had done a segment on the cj and talked about how it was such a tip over hazard and so the market was falling out of Jeep and that, that was kill, literally killing the Jeep. Uh, so the CJ was dying. 
60 Minutes was killing it. It was just bad, bad, bad. So Jeep came up with this $50 million budget to completely re-engineer the CJ into something new, which they called the YJ. And they had to do a couple things. The engineering team and the development team decided that they would add plastics to uh, update the dash and you know make a couple extra frilly interior mods. And to completely change it, they did the square headlights. Now, on the very first development block, uh, and Dave was telling you about this, they actually deleted the exterior hinges. So the doors did not have exterior hinges. They That's deleted right. the fold-down windshield. They oh, deleted yes. the hood latches on the outside <laughs> of the vehicle. So they deleted all those things on the first development block. And that block went to Colorado um, and got put in front of people. And the marketing guy came back to Jeep and literally told everybody, we can't do this. People physically threatened my life. That's right. Um, and then and they were excited about it because it was much cheaper to do the exterior hinges and the fold-down windshield than it was to delete all that stuff. So the first development buck almost got rid of all of that stuff. Um, and then uh, when they did the second showing, which was also in Colorado, of the YJ, uh, and it was a marketing thing almost a year before they, they unleashed it, one guy asked, why did you do this for headlights? Mm -hmm. And the marketing guy, who was very quick on his feet, said, well, we did that so we could lower the, the, the line uh, or the hood line mm -hmm. right. so that you can ski up the trail better, <laughs> which was a complete and utter, I mean, it was, it was a complete and utter lie. But he told the press that, and the press was like, oh, okay. You know, and they just <laughs> left him alone. But it, literally, the only reason they did the square headlights on the first Wrangler was to change the look because Jeep was literally dying because of the 60-minute episode. God, could you imagine? I mean, Jeep was doing a Bronco before Bronco did here recently. Because that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, all these smooth lines and stuff. I am so glad. I, I, I would not want all smooth outside. I mean, if I wanted a, a Chevrolet, an 83 Chevrolet pickup, I'd get one. Well, in the Bronco, you oh, got to give them credit because the original Bronco was also all smooth, right? So, so Bronco is just following their originality with the smoothness. And even Jeep, a lot of people don't know this, but Jeep did a smooth Bronco-looking vehicle. It, uh, it, was, it was a Jeepster Commando, and it was 1972 to 1974. And it looks just like an International Harvester or a Bronco of the time, but it's actually a Jeep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I like the Jeep with all the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the the with the mechanics, you know, where you see it, it looks a, a more of a functional vehicle, not something the that's fancy. Utilitarian. Utilitarian. Look. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Well, and, and that's the thing, like Greg is talking about the bullnose and um, not a lot of people like that one. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, a, I mean, I like the CJ, uh, the, uh, all the, the Wranglers, the YJ, the TJ, uh, I'm, I'm less of a fan of the JK, <clears throat> but uh, the, the JLs I really like, and of course the, the JTs. To me, the, the interior of uh, the, the JL and the JT looks more utilitarian, uh, looks more GP, as I like to say, uh, than what the JK does. Yeah, and you guys can hate on Travis for having the YJ, but I actually have a YJ Renegade, so uh, that's the most hated one of all. <laughs> All right, well, let's get this and last question. And I'm a YJ owner. <laughs> what was that, Travis? I don't like the fenders, and I am a YJ owner. I All just, right. I, but I, I, still love, I still love the Renegade. All right. The new one? No, no, he's talking about the YJ no, Renegade. Not, no. Oh. <laughs> YJ one. <laughs> Travis, Travis says, how dare you? <laughs> All right, so we were talking about the uh, what's the best wheeling, uh, snow, mud, rock, or easy trail. So this is the thing that got me because on our, our last uh, Jeep Talk Show event back in uh, June that uh, Clint said he was going to go to and didn't, uh, but uh, I'm not picking on him. Uh, do you prefer a day or night wheeling? Night I've wheeling. A, I've honestly never night wheeled. It's really, really I've, neat. I've, I've always been, just been skeptical. Uh, I like to see where I'm going, where my wheels are going, what they're landing on, and not to saying I wouldn't do it. I just never had the desire. I will tell you the best way to do it is to do it in the day, a couple of times, and then take that route at night, and it's 
totally different. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I noticed. And also, well, Corfer, are we talking about where you're, you know, you're locked in climbing over obstacles, or are you talking just regular, you know, like a, a, a drive through the woods? Yes. Yes. Oh, all of it. <laughs> it it's exactly it's exactly what Chris said. It's completely different. Uh, it's just fun. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, and I found that, uh, I actually installed some, uh, some lights on, on the no. front bumper. So I would be able to see off road. And then what I found was, is that you didn't need those because that just blinds people. You, you get some nice rock lights and now yeah. you can see where you're going. So rock lights, cause I'm a spotter. And when I do spotting, I want to know what your tires are doing, not what, god is looking what was it how does it go the the up the raccoon's ass at three miles down the road (laughs) i i I have a what is it i have a saying uh light bars only work if you're in front yep yeah if you're leading and then once once somebody's spotting you turn them off (laughs) (laughs) flash flash three times (laughs) then they won't be able to see a damn thing (laughs) and the cheapest rock lights you can use are usually the best ones you can get because yeah. you're going to smash them and break them. Right. My problem is they'll be kicked in mud where I go wheeling. <laughs> Those you go down to your local tractor company and you buy whatever lights they have there for implement and truck and uh, tractors. That's what you put on. They're yeah. like 25 bucks a pair and if you if you do end up smashing them, you just go back and get another pair. But they'll take a beating. So, I I prefer day wheeling. Um, I don't do a lot of night wheeling just because the parks we go to they shut the trails down at ten p.m. And um, but I do like you know from you start out at during the day and then into dusk. And if you're back at the camp by nine o'clock, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we did. Uh, we did TRO at night and at the event, and that was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, I was not a not a big night wheeling person until because that was the first time I'd been kind of out there. And luckily, it didn't fall to wherever you can wheel at night. Midnight, midnight is their cutoff, right? And and if you're still out on the trails, that what they they anyway they uh they're a little bit lenient on the midnight deal, um, but. It's it's a totally different experience. We've been down that same trail. TRO is what we did at night. And we've been down that trail in the daytime several times. And we went through it at night. I mean, it was the part where the trail kind of like the halfway point where there's a big opening or whatever. We had side-by-sides coming out with uh, like the LED whips. And we had was like 20 Jeeps with us all with like rock lights and everything all set up. And everybody ra- radio chatter. I mean, it was, it, was pretty, uh, it was pretty awesome time. So I think night wheeling kind of kind of stuck with me on that one so i kind of want to do it again i yeah i don't get the chance to do it very often um i have a kind of young family so i gotta be back at camp pretty early um but we go we'll go head out as long as we get enough you know lights to light up everything we're looking at because at barnwell there's a lot of pockets you just it's ledge to ledge to ledge to ledge and you know if you can't see it it looks like it's you know four feet down there and Sometimes it might just be four feet down there. Uh, I, like, like Tony, I'm a light fanatic and <laughs> rebuilding my OJ, I initially went all out on lights and I can see in every direction or I can see straight forward. That, that initially was what I had. And as I, you know, rebuilt my Jeep and learned this is going back to 17, I realized I'm never the guy leading in my YJ and I'm never running into these lights. And I quickly learned I need more lights underneath. I prefer night wheeling because I'm blind, can't see much, but let me underneath myself. I'm going to trust my, my spotters to tell me where to go, what to do. And it just, it became more fun. Um, you know, North Carolina's heat, during the day, it's miserable. It's hot. You know, Wendy's talking on her, you know, day trip, da da da, da the humidity. At night, it's, it's, it's better weather. It's better, period. But it's light up underneath your Jeep. And, and I say that. I've got rock lights. I've got 
single row thin little floodlights shooting out the side uh, in the rear underneath that literally light up the ground. I've got not only rock lights, but I've got the cheap little strip of lights that, that people would use. Uh, they're, I don't know what they're called, but they're entry lights running up the side. I mean, I, I lit up underneath and you can see under my clears day um, and any angle at anything. And they've been beat up. They've been through their rations and they hold up. Mm -hmm. I like night wheeling. And again, I'm, I'm never leaving the pack. If you're, if you're leaving the pack, have all the lights up front. Right. If you're not, Focus underneath the Jeep because your spotters are what you trust. And it also builds that relationship with Jeepers. You know, it's like, hey, we're a big old family. Well, I'm going to trust you to get me through this. And it's amazing. So I think uh, Travis brings up a good point. Uh, you don't have to go out and spend a lot of money for rock lights. It's like what Clint was saying. Um, <laughs> the, the Murphy's Law, I think it is cheapest uh, tends to work out better when you try other lights you you're going to find out um how much light you're getting for from them and when you take them off road you're going to find out how they how they uh handle that off-road uh use so uh fortunately uh led lighting uh, has come down uh huge in price so there's a lot of things to try and uh, i don't know about you guys lighting is just fun uh, and, uh, and I'll probably get some pushback on having, uh, like, uh, red, uh, rock lights, but, uh, it also, uh, preserves the, the night vision for the, uh, the spotter. And if it's bright enough to see where the tire is, that's not a bad thing. So you can even go, uh, colored, uh, lights, uh, rock lights, uh, white's probably the best one to stick with, but, you know, give it a try, try it out and, and see what you got. I use the, uh, amber covers on my uh, cycle boots from kc mm -hmm. and and they look and they work pretty well i think i think like steve mentioned when the mud starts flying they get a little bit covered and they get a little dim so i'm looking at doing uh some white ones further inside so outside amber inside white kind of thing to, to cut down the glare because amber really cuts through dust and everything else where we sure. know there's a lot of dust so um, I definitely wanted to keep amber on the outside. But oh, you can I, I, colors are definitely important. I was really, really impressed with those cyclones uh, from uh, from KC, where they you can pop pop filters on them, and uh, I thought that was really neat. I know Bill uh, ATX, uh, Bill ATX is here in the Zoom room tonight. He uh, he actually got a set of those things and replaced the. Uh, um, oh, it's a it's a well named brand. What is it? Not Pyramid. What what is that one that uh, I don't know if Bill's here or not. Uh, what did he have on there, John? Uh, it's a very popular. Uh, yeah, he had Lux lighting, Lux. The magnet. Yes, yeah. and and he switched over to the uh, the KC Cyclone lights and got a lot more light out of them. But at <laughs> thirty dollars a light, yeah, I, I would expect it to be. Although I don't know what the Lux lights cost. All right, well, another great roundtable. We appreciate you being here, and uh, I'll just mention real quick, if uh, if you didn't uh, hear Greg, uh, uh, or if you didn't know who that was that was talking earlier about the YJ information, that's uh, Greg Henderson of Unofficial Use Only, and if you were in the Zoom meeting, you would see him working on his next SEMA build uh, for Quadratech, and uh, it is a brand new, and I've, I'm, I'm going to say it right, 4 by e that he's working on and uh, turning it into something fantastic as as Greg does. So <laughs> it's uh, it's great whenever everybody can join in, but it's especially neat whenever you can uh, jump in here and, and get some inside baseball information and uh, see something that's going to be at SEMA. And, you know, there's no telling. Some of you may, guys may be going to SEMA this year, and uh, you'll see Greg out there with uh, with this uh, this Jeep that he's working on. All right, so as I always like to say, uh, we, we want to let you know that we're going to be having a, a great interview this Thursday with Molly Mang. She is a Little Cajun House on uh, Instagram and uh, TikTok, a big Jeeper. Uh, both her and her husband both have Jeeps, uh, but yeah, I'll warn you, if you go over there and look for uh, Little Cajun House, you're going to see a lot of food videos. And if you're like me, you like the food videos. It makes you fat, but but it's fun watching those. And she comes up with a lot of great stuff. And uh, so there's some some great jeeping information there too. So check out uh, Molly Mang's interview uh, this Thursday. And what is that? That's uh, episode uh, yeah six eighty one. The one right after this one, which is six eighty.
So we'd like you to go and sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to find out what's going on in the Jeep Talk Show. And it would tell you this bit of information that we're going to be doing a giveaway this week for Dirty Acres, uh, a Jeep grill insert. Uh, you can look at all the, the grill inserts over at dirtyacres.com. It's a Texas-based company. And, uh, you know, you've heard Dawn on the show a couple of times here if you're a longtime listener. Most recently, she was on maybe maybe a month or two ago. And uh, a great uh, Texas-based company uh, owned by her and her husband. And uh, you should check out those, those Jeep grill inserts. And they do customs as well. But the the grill insert will be given away as one of the ones that they uh, they have in stock that is uh, ready to go. But there's lots to pick from. So if, you, if you're like Steve-O and you know you're going to be a winner, you should uh, go over to dirtyacres.com and start picking out your grill now. All right. Well, uh, remember, we do this every week, every uh, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, it's, I mean, you can go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact to get the information, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little trick. You can just do jeeptalkshow.com slash roundtable. Password is jeep. If you had fun, if you want to get your friends involved in this, come in here and cut up with the rest of us. Just tell them jeeptalkshow.com uh, slash roundtable. Password jeep. I mean, the password's the easiest thing to remember, right? And uh, we'd love to have them here. You don't have to be invited. All you have to do is have that link and uh, join in. We'd love to, to hear from you. So until next week, we will see you on the trail. Podcasting since 2010.